Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. Bruce Campbell is one of the longest continuous copyists at the National Gallery of Art, with more than two decades and over two dozen completed works. Campbell's master replicas focus on the High Renaissance, the Baroque, and the Hudson River School, to name a few. In this conversation program on March 11, 2019, as part of the Works in Progress lecture series at the National Gallery of Art, Bruce Campbell and Alexandra Libby discuss this age-old exercise and study and link his experience to others engaged in this long-standing practice. Welcome first to everyone. Um, but Bruce, I guess first things first, what is a copyist and how does that work here? So the National Gallery of Art, I, um, I didn't think I had the caliber to start to do any copies uh, because my portfolio of paintings was so limited and the skill set just wasn't there. I was drawing pretty good. But a, a close friend and con colleague, and actually finally became my mentor, said, Bruce, your drawing is getting better. It's getting pretty good. He said, if you really want to get good, then you should uh, consider copying at the National Gallery of Art. And I said, I don't think I'm worthy of that. Not yet. And he said, well, you probably are not. So just apply. <laughs> apply. And there's only one way to find out. Yeah. So back in, in fact, 95, I had finished uh, uh, my master's in another discipline and said, if I can make that kind of commitment, I'm going to apply. And so I applied. The, uh, the process is pretty lengthy. Uh, letters of recommendation from um, uh, character and professional. Mm -hmm. So they wanted four of each uh, total <coughs> oh, at that point mm -hmm. and sample of your portfolio and to make sure that you would be uh, a benefit to the program because it is such an honor. So how long does that take about? Mine took about nine months, eight nine to months? nine months. Yes. That's a long time. And so are there rules and regulations once you get started? Oh, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> one arm down the other and up. Um, but, but some of the key uh, points is you know, respect the gallery and, re and respect the work. Um, so there are rules around that. And then um, to make sure that that replica isn't going to replace the original work. Yeah, so, how so there's size restrictions. Okay, what's the, like what? 40 inch okay. is the maximum. Um, capacity, unless you get special permission, mm -hmm. and I don't know what those arrangements are, and it has to be two inches larger or smaller than the original. Okay. So no matter how large the original is, in my case, I want to replicate as closely as I possibly can as the original, so I will scale down mm -hmm. to that 40-inch capacity for my actual copy. Okay. And then I put um, a slide of some of the other sort of things uh, you need to do, right? Yes. So they stamp the back of your canvas, right? Right. So there's... The, uh, it's in, in no less than like eight places. <laughs> this copy from the National Gallery of Art. Copy, 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 copy. It has a unique number. So that number is for this, this painting oh no, that's your only. size here, maybe? Um, what is it? 7620. Okay. So that's identified with the permit. As you can see with the red, the red top And there. it gets signed every time you check in, check out? Once a month. Once oh, okay. a month, it has to be updated. And so how often do you come here? Weekly, now. Mm -hmm. But it was bi-weekly because uh, as a former federal employee, every other Friday, 
it was my flex day, so I was able to come down. And you talked about a mentor who yes. got you started in this. Can you tell us a little bit about him? So Gerald King, he was a character, still is a character. But he had copied uh, about five years before he introduced me to copying. And he said, he said, I can't help you at all because another copyist can't provide the letters of recommendation. Oh, okay. So it has to be someone completely out of that circle. So he kind of followed up and said, you know, are you going to do this? And I said, I'm going to try. So that nine-month wait, I kind of just discounted that I would be uh, a possible copyist. Mm -hmm. But when it happened, I was really surprised. And from that point on, he says, okay. So he really kind of put me to the grindstone. He says, he'd come around periodically and look at my work and say, that's that's making it, but few words. It would just let me go and make my mistakes. So he really was a mentor. I mean, we we taking really classes became, with him formally, or I had in community college. Okay, and didn't like him. <laughs> he was <laughs> problems with authority, perhaps. <laughs> no, he was no. he was extremely challenging. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Uh huh. Um, very demanding, and he expected the best from his students. So if you come late to class and there's a model, you get a demerit. If you don't come to the National Gallery and do that portfolio uh, review and research, mm -hmm. you get a demerit. So um, I wasn't ready for that at that age. Yeah. But I, I stepped up to the plate when I started to copy. And so when he came to visit you, I mean, you were working in the galleries at the yes. same time. Yes. So we decided we were Friday copyists. Okay. So you come and every Friday. Well, we would come, yeah, most Fridays. Um, so again, going back to the program, there are probably three dozen copyists and the registrar's office would know for sure. And they stagger us over the work week. So Monday through Fridays, um, for the hours of the gallery, 10 in the morning, and then by four, we should be off the floor, okay. um, prepared for the, uh, the closure at five o'clock. Okay. And there's about three dozen of us. And very recently, within the last year, um, I wouldn't know who the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday copyists were, but we kind of collaborated and come up with a small group Oh, called nice. the, the, uh, the master uh, art copyist. Okay. And so we formed this little group so that we can, I don't know, collaborate and actually maybe start marketing our work, promoting our work mm -hmm. as, a, as a group or individually sharing um, ideas and concepts. of. So we were talking before we sort of got started that you were saying that you feel like today there is... I don't know if you use the word stigma or there's something about, well, you were talking about marketing copies and how do yes. you market a copy? Because for today's public, that somehow feels like it, it's not maybe an authentic pursuit. I mean, when in fact, this is historically the mark of how you become an artist, right? This copying is such an important part of the history of art and the history of artists. So do you feel like there's a tension between that history and today or? Well, I'd say probably 85 to 90% in my case, um, when they request for competitions, mm -hmm. that they're original works. Okay, so you get excluded from so, things. So, yeah, many times uh, we're excluded from the mainstream yeah. competition. Yeah. But there's some organizations that appreciate that, and, um, and we're looking for those venues who, who appreciate the classical, the traditional, right. and awakening to that this is really something that's been done from the inception of time. Yeah. Um, and not just art, I mean music. We still listen to Mozart, Beethoven, and Bach, and we spend good money. Mm -hmm. uh, conductors are still doing those works, so it's no different from yeah. music and yeah, that's some of the other disciplines. 
So one of the things that was so interesting to me, and I, and I visited Bruce's studio um, a couple of months ago with my daughter, and I will get back to that because <laughs> he was so wonderful, is that whenever I see you copying, you always look like this. He is dressed perfectly, and, and we have this fabulous Judith Leister in the collection where she's dressed in this amazing outfit, and we always say, but artists didn't really look like that when they worked. They wore kind of like smocks and, you know, something that they could get, you know, a little schlubby and, and dirty, but not Bruce. <laughs> Bruce is always dressed beautifully, and then you told me a story about that, which is... So when I first started, I was still really working for the federal government. Yeah. I mean, you know, my day job, and uh, so every other Friday... I was able to copy most mm -hmm. Fridays, but then those off Fridays, and I'm like, but I could still come here. So I would uh, come to work, include my lunch and a couple of hours of leave, and leave my office, which is several blocks away and sometimes more than a few blocks away, but always downtown, to come here and copy for two or three hours. And so I still have on my work uniform and, <laughs> and then go back to work and, uh, and finish my work day. Because you were so dedicated. I mean, I just, I, I, I love that. Um, so your portfolio is extensive. You've done British, you've done American, you've done Italian, you've done French, you've done Dutch, um, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. Here are just some of the examples, and of course, surrounded by more here too. How do you select what you work on? First, it's not academically decided. Usually what catches my eye, mm -hmm. there's some beauty in that painting. Sometimes the subject matter, depending. So if we go around here, the most recent, the, uh, the Van Alts, mm -hmm. was selected because I wanted to do feathers and fur. And I'm approached by people, do you um, do, you do pets and animals? And, is it only Not dead ones? quite. <laughs> well, I hadn't done that yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm thinking I'm filling my toolbox with, with feathers oh, and fur. Interesting. So if I get uh, a commission to do fluffy or, uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or bugs, uh, you know, or the Easter bunny, I'll, yeah. I'll be able to somewhat capture it. Okay. And I had looked at that earlier, but it's interesting because I don't think maybe I was ready for this caliber of work even a decade ago. Really? Why? So building the portfolio and the confidence and doing other works before I challenged myself personally okay. to something I would consider a lot more challenging. Okay. So with 100 plus hours, and I suspect another 20, 25 hours on this painting, which we equate to maybe four weeks or so, uh -huh. I think I may have turned the corner and prepared to put copy after, mm -hmm. and then my own personal signature. This was the first work you did, That's right? Correct. The Basile, which is a pretty well-known painting, so um, no pressure. You just, <laughs> you just jumped in. How was your process like when you did Well, first, the selection process. Yeah. It's an African-American or African woman in a very okay. positive vein, and it just draw me to, to the subject matter. Mm -hmm. So that was the main thing. But again, once you start copying and realizing, ah... There's colors in here, and there's palette, <laughs> and there's composition. And the way I attack it is problem solving. And there's a solution out there somewhere. Yeah. So that's where I gain the patience. I just take my time. And typically, a painting is complicated enough that you can work various areas mm -hmm. and come back to that kind of anew the next week or maybe later that day yeah. to uh, work on the flowers, the, the bouquet there, the positioning of the figure. 
and every copy uh, I've done has been a very, very challenging. I'm sure. What was the most challenging part of this one? Getting that tilt in her head. Really? For me. I'm, I think in most artists will probably agree that getting a likeness of a flower, yeah. you can get away with that. Mountains, you can kind of get away with that. Forest, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, but, but a person people, to sort of endow right. them with the spirit, right, of, right. of, the, of the actual the of eyes life. have to be on the same plane and that angular um, has to be... Uh, so it's interesting, if I had to do this all over again, mm -hmm. I'd probably knock it out of the park. But <laughs> I know, I'll, I remember uh, you said to me that you don't, you're not but, pleased with this one anymore, <laughs> 25 years old now. But, but again, uh, it's a learning process, yeah. and, and I added it to my portfolio. So what do you feel like we would do differently here? My whole approach. Um, Starting from uh, where you start? The or negative, yeah, the looking cars. at the negative space and just putting in those big areas and those big shapes. So when I look at this, it's almost like a, a bow tie, the bouquet is making, and mm -hmm. the way it flows, to make sure I had that accurate before I'm concerned about individual groups, like the, the white section mm -hmm. on, the, on the right there. That's a, a, a long oval shape, and it makes a separate shape. And I can see that now where when I was looking at it originally, I didn't quite see it and break it down into simplifying and demystifying with, with those basic shapes and not looking at it as a person, place, or thing, or not even as a color or pigment, but just light and dark shapes. Interesting. So once you've identified a work of art, can you tell me a little bit more about your process? So, um, do you sketch, for example? Do you do drawing studies before you? I've never done that. Okay. Never any academic. So that's what Gerald thought was your biggest promise was your drawings. <laughs> well, we are, we are drawing. Yeah. Drawing with paint. Yeah. So versus a grid or a charcoal or which I could do. Why put another medium when I can use a palette knife and do huge spaces, and likewise to draw with the paint. So again, this process was earlier on, but you can see I'm actually drawing mm -hmm. uh, individual shapes and, and almost personalities before I get that big picture and looking at the entire composition where it, it kind of folds down this huge oval that brings up the entire composition, as you can kind of see from uh, as it progresses. And I think in this particular painting, there were... I didn't even realize, but there are over two dozen portraits. And I think we'll see the final Here, in, the, in the original. So if you include the horse and the cherubs. Oh, here, I've got the, so fi the final. And the original is always on the left, and then Bruce's copy will be on the right. So if we start clockwise, the horsemen, and then the soldiers, and then you've got the cherubs. And then in the center there is a lion, the knocker. Mm -hmm and another cherub, and then the person carrying the bread. And then you wind your way around and it kind of zigzags. But there's over, two, again, two dozen portraits alone. So there's a lot of individuation that you have to right, sort of be break thinking down. about. Yeah. Is this the most amount of figures you've done in a, in a work? In a copy. In a copy, yes, but not in my own personal works. Okay. Okay. 
So no preparatory drawings, just brush to canvas. There must be a wonderful sense of immediacy in that kind of approach, the troubleshooting that just sort of go. I don't know. I mean, do you think that that's... Do you, have you ever thought about trying to sketch it out first? Or, I mean, you just, I mean... Hmm. At this point, probably not. Yeah. And again, I don't go back to the drawing board and do anything before I'm in front of that painting. Right down to researching what pigments they used or... So you do research before... I don't. That's my point. Oh, you don't. Yeah, Sorry, I go in completely blind. completely side. blind. <laughs> blind, blind. Well, when you think about a 500-year-old painting... What were the pigments they used? And even if we knew the color, how do we match those up 500 years later, 400 years later? That's one of the hardest jobs, I think, of our conservation department. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah. How do you match these colors? And then sometimes in, in the conservation department, it's a reversal. They're taking off layers of varnish. Mm -hmm. They're cleaning it. And so there's this balancing act where I'm going on with a blank canvas, typically linen at this point, mm -hmm. and, and just putting pigment down and then working it from that point yeah. um, through the uh, kind of a step-by-step, -step, but not a Bob Ross approach where yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I'm working the whole canvas the entire yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, you're not working on the happy little trees. Not oh, yet. Okay. Or smiley little face. <laughs> yeah, or... smiley little face, yeah. Um, so I thought we could look at some of the examples of your work that you found particularly compelling for you that either had a really good story behind them um, a work that you found particularly challenging. I know you said that this was one of the most difficult yes. works that you ever did. This is Raphael's Alba Madonna, another, another sleeper of the National Gallery. So again, you know, no pressure. Um, tell me about this project. So again, I had admired that painting for years, mm -hmm. but not from a standpoint that I would be able to copy it. Mm -hmm. And again, not thinking my skills were at that level, you know, building that toolbox. Uh, with other paintings until, and just a blind leap of faith said, I'm going to do it. So how many years into the copy program before you started so the album, Madonna? Probably well over a dozen years. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even a little bit longer than that. About 15 years, I think it was. 15 years, okay. 15 years. Now, there's a couple of factors. Going back to the rules and regulations, the availability of the painting is critical. So if that painting is in a gallery that's going to be renovated with new scaffolding or new uh, hanging devices mm -hmm. or just ceiling renovations. Yeah, or, we had that big deep clean a couple summers ago that would close down the galleries for 12 weeks at a time. So the research uh, uh, of the... Of the uh, the registrar's office is really intense. Collaborating with the, with the curatorial staff and, and others, that is this gallery going to be available and the work going to be hanging? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's going to be on loan for uh, in the next six oh, months. Oh, sorry, yeah. I don't think I'm going to finish it in six months. So all those factor in. Mm -hmm. So the gallery was prepared. And even at that, they, uh, in the registrar's office, request that you have four to five copies that you're interested in. Oh, okay. So that if your first, second, even third choice is not available, yeah. you can um, you can have, have something to work on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and even with that uh, tedious research and background, there's still been a couple where I've been midstream and the gallery has been closed or the painting has been taken down or moved. Yeah. So, um, but usually they come back again. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I hope so. I'm able to. <laughs> Well, versus storage. Yeah, They're that's going true. Yeah, storage versus storage for 35, 40 years. And uh, first, it's, uh, it's round. Mm -hmm. 
And so could I start off with a round canvas? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So it's a panel. Mm-hmm. Another close colleague helped me to, to make this 40-inch round. And I was saying, so now are we going to cut it out? And he said, it's going to roll. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> so so yeah. putting it in this, in this, uh, in this square panel. Yeah. And so it was anchored but then realizing that circle. So, so standing back and looking at this composition and saying, you know what? And then listen to some of the docents and the curators and the whole canvas is anchored mm-hmm. with that triangular shape, right. which, you can, right. which you can see there. So capturing that and just getting pigment onto the, onto the, in fact, that's a wood panel. So I think you'd already mentioned, but the original painting was on wood panel and apparently 400 years later, or almost 400 years later, that wood panel was starting to warp. Mm-hmm. And so it was transferred to canvas. Mm-hmm. So that's another dilemma. How close are those colors to the original and how much restoration work went into it? So this is sort of jumping ahead a little bit, but that's something that I thought about is you know, you're doing your best to get to what you see in the galleries, but sometimes what you see in the galleries isn't always what the artist, what the artist did, right? And with the Von Alst in particular, um, there was uh, some colleagues did a, um, a pigment study a couple of years ago and discovered that the blue game bag would have been green, and it has to do with the yellow pigment fading. Um, and I said that to you, and you were like... Pfft. <laughs> I'm not doing green. I'm doing, um, <laughs> I'm doing green. I don't see green. Which I think is fine. But, um, but there is that difference, right? You know, of what, you, what you're working to see, which is maybe not what was always, you know. Exactly. And that's a, another real good point. I actually talk with some folks in the education department, and they had four different prints of the album Madonna, mm-hmm. and every single one of them were different. And we're talking high quality, high uh, resolution uh, photographs, but they were all slightly different. Mm -hmm. So even with the best photograph of that painting with green, (laughs) you know, what would my pigments reflect? No, 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 you shouldn't do green. So so no green, but trying to match that blue was just Mm. a huge challenge. I actually went online, I got an ultramarine blue, that was supposed to have been uh, what uh, uh, the artist used, Raphael. And I think it cost me, it was the most expensive tube of paint. It was $68. Yeah. And it didn't even come close yeah. to matching. <laughs> so what do you do in that case? You just I keep trying. I sent it back. <laughs> <laughs> and me, this I, is not Raphael Blue. <laughs> and I mixed maybe. Yeah. 15 different blues, this concoction of, you know, cobalt and three different ultramarine blues that I had and, and yeah. Prussian and you name it. And it was starting to get just a little semblance. So ironically, my painting, and you'll see most of these, uh, my images compared to the original mm-hmm. are pretty different. It has a lot to do, I'm not a professional photographer, and usually I'll take those pictures myself, Mm -hmm. but my goal is to be as close to that original with the restricted lighting Mm -hmm. uh, when I'm copying. The light source is usually really poor because the original work Mm -hmm. is under spotlights, and where my easel is set up is Mm -hmm. a far cry from any direct spotlight. Mm -hmm. 
So that becomes a challenge. My goal is to get as close to the original as I possibly can. Yeah. Color-wise and uh, all aspects, textures and all those other great things. So then the other challenge is the importance of the background, which are literally three cities. So they're on three different planes, and there's figures back there, and there's folks on horseback. If you can point in the background, yeah. Right uh, there's a couple with uh, having a lunch under that first layer of tree line. Mm -hmm. And then the community on this side, that's before the little lake, and then in the far background, up in the mountains, mm -hmm. there's another. And then all of that needs to go in before the cross or any of those things that are in the foreground. Mm -hmm. So trying to, to get all of that detail in, which typically is never going to be seen. <laughs> in the first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm anal about this, so yeah. okay, I can't just stop that rooftop because yeah. there's a hand behind it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and so then working my way to the foreground. So the background, making sure that was in place before I really even focus on any of the foreground figures. And then the mid background, which would be that mountain range. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's something at the top of that mountain range on the, on the right there. Do you see the buildings up there? Up here? Very top, yes. Yeah. So all those go in once the sky is, and then working my way into the next plane, which is be the, the mid-ground, but far mid-ground, yeah. then the near mid-ground, and then the near foreground, and the placement of the figures, where I put a placement, a placeholder, but then working toward the actual foreground. So yeah, it's uh Well, are you pleased with how this one turned out or would you do this I'm one getting over there. two? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> the the real test is when I cut out the find the tundo frame mm -hmm. and cut it out and actually frame it. Because you do, you frame each of yours really, you know, as as carefully as you can. I mean, that's oh, what's you. so wonderful about having these all here today is to see just how how much attention you pay to it throughout its whole sort of process. Well, it's like getting dressed in a tuxedo and you wear a pair of tennis shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and if I exhibit, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm prepared. I'll hit the ground running because yes. those works are, yeah. are framed. Yeah. Um, they're expensive, but um, again, it, who knows what yeah. the future has to hold. And well, when I came to your studio a few weeks ago, we talked about a couple others, like your Thomas Moran, for example. <laughs> And you said that this was also one of your favorites, right? Yes. Why? The painting struck me. It was, it was late in the day, and I was looking for a new painting. Mm -hmm. And I'd seen this before, but that particular afternoon, it was in the summer, the way the light, even though it's filtered, was coming into that room, I'm like, wow. I said, let me, I wonder, I wonder if I'm ready for this one. And I said, you know, probably not, because this painting, I forget the dimensions, but I think it's six foot across. It's pretty, it's pretty it's long. So scaling it down, reducing this to something that's manageable. And I said, it's really going to look bizarre because the proportional relationship brought it down to 40 inch. Mm -hmm. And then the scalable would be 16 inches. And I said, let me try it. So blind leap of faith again. I, uh, I attacked it, and not realizing the whole thing as the Dawson's come through the gallery with their tours. Mm -hmm. Each one has these little nuggets of, of information. They're all consistent, yet there's something new that I hear about. Mm -hmm. And that this painting was actually an afterthought. I think he did it, if I'm not mistaken, for the railroad. 
So this scene had been long past. Mm -hmm. uh, there were no more Native Americans, and it was a depot. And uh, the, uh, they're trying to market the railroad uh, lines to, to head west. So you don't know too many of the stories behind the paintings before you do them. I mean, you, you sort of absorb the stories as you work through the docents or the or, or um, curator. like curators. Yes. Come, yeah. Some of those people, too. Um, A lot of Does that people. enliven the, the oh, paintings sure. for you? Oh, sure. Sure. Because I'm not approaching it. They, they are yeah. sharing, yeah. you know, for the general public. Does, um, does it, and if so, how ever inform how you paint? Typically it hasn't. Okay. I'm not gonna put I'm not gonna put green in that. <laughs> I swear I'm not pushing for it. <laughs> okay. So all that valuable information is probably for not. <laughs> okay, fine. Another favorite of yours, you said, was the constant, right? The favorite yes. of the Amir. You know, I'm seeing a trend here. So it's these massive paintings. Yeah, you don't. That, you don't go that small. Scale, yeah, that have to be scaled down. Insane. And then I got up the confidence. But it seems like everything you pick is enormous. So yeah, I'm gonna have to maybe talk to the registrar's office about maybe scaling, scaling up just, up. To, yeah, just a little bit. All he wants Not is to overstand my. Uh, <laughs> so it's interesting that this painting was originally owned by the Naval Academy oh, in Annapolis. And so it was, as beautiful as it is, it's off limits to copying because it's not the ownership. Yeah. The ownership issue. And so about definitely less than a decade ago, apparently there was some workings, a gentleman's agreement, legal, okay. whatever staff, that the National Gallery took possession of this work. Mm -hmm. And then it was available and then you to got copy. The yeah, we have a number of long-term loans here. I mean, I don't know the exact story of this one myself, but we have a number of long-term loans in our collection. We have something from Catholic University. We have something from the Smithsonian in Northern Baroque paintings too, because they're just not, I mean, I have a hard time imagining this at the Naval Observatory, but they just are, they're not well equipped right. sometimes. Well, and that's they, why, exactly, exactly, to have these, someone has given them a painting and they, they're not exactly Or sure given it the respect do. that it deserves. Yeah. You know, this is a, a, a very, very handsome painting. Oh, yeah. um, so scaling it down. In fact, another tidbit about this, the frames, which you mentioned earlier, there is a research team uh, from the National Gallery mm -hmm. who's researching this frame, just the frame. Oh. And if you can see, it's, it's written in Arabic. Oh. And so there have been guests who come in and they're reading this and then come to find out some of the NGA staff are actually researching that frame Wonderful. to get more information. And they don't think that was the original frame okay. of the artist. Okay. That, yeah. uh, that has been changed over the years. I think a, a lot of our, the things have been, yeah, reframed, of course, because... It, Which is an interesting... Uh, oh, yeah, it just has to do with the history of taste, right, and what people want to see around their, their objects over the years. I think this is a beautiful painting, but it now has a special place in my heart because when we came to your studio, my four-year-old daughter and I, she just loved... I mean, she loved Mr. Bruce, first off. <laughs> Mr. Bruce, Mr. Bruce! And we, I said, no, no, Mr. Bruce, I like this one. Mr. Bruce, I like this one. But she loved this one. And, um, and you were just so sweet with her and so gentle and you gave her you know your attention and said well what do you like about this one and did you notice that there's a little person over here and <laughs> um and you really sort of i mean you really engaged her and um and it just strikes me that to be a copyist you not only have to be an artist but you have to be a people person <laughs> because you are working in front of our public constantly you know, that's you know and I'm they're and they're asking you questions and they're just yeah 
And again, I look at it as a blessing, seriously, yeah. that uh, one of the guards some years back said, uh, you know, Mr. Campbell, you're an international artist. And I said, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> he, says, he says, no, he says, there were some guests earlier. They were in plain clothes, but we got a report. You know, they had their own entourage, and they were visiting from some country. And he said, you're going home with them as part of their formal visit to the U.S., to Washington, D.C., in the National Gallery in pictures. And he said, you were talking to them and you engaged them. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of second nature to me. Yeah. But it is an honor to be here and to engage complete strangers who don't remain strangers after a while. Yeah. They'll email me. And then, again, your daughter just represents the students who this may be the first and maybe the only time they'll come to a museum and see a living artist. So if it sparks something in them to continue yeah. in any of the arts, it could be music, it could be anything, yeah. because art, the, the visual arts, reflects everything. You'll see it in every painting, every discipline, every genre uh, in, the, in the visual arts. So engaging, and then I've got plenty of, of practice, because I've got five of those critters. So, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm, I'm kind of used, and I'm the oldest of eight. Oh my God. So I've got uh, I've been around kids uh, yeah. quite a bit. Well, and then your atelier, right? You have students. Yes, you have yes. A whole host of people asking for your attention. Ah, uh, <laughs> I welcome it. I welcome it. We're so lucky to have you because I, you know, I, I would say that you probably speak to more people about von Alst on any given Friday than I do. I mean, you, you know, the copyists are truly are the ambassadors of the collection in a lot of ways. And you've engaged with the museum on other levels too, right? You've participated in educational programs here. It's not just people interrupting you at work, but actually. Right, for, for a short period. And I might re reconsider that. Yeah. Um, right around the corner. Right around the corner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Um, for, for young students, I think they're from the metropolitan Washington area. And it's a beautiful program. It's all fully funded by the National Gallery of Art. And it's a week-long program. Uh, educational uh, endeavors for the children. And one small part of it is to meet a living artist. And so as a copyist, uh, they come in and we talk about basic shapes and about being an artist. And it was so cute, it was really amazing. Um, one of the times it was, I forget the name of the school, but one little girl, she came up with her drawing and said, Mr. 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 Campbell, could you autograph my drawing, Aww. and I was like, oh, sure. And then I look, and there's like 35 little... Stop. <laughs> oh, that's so great. They lined up for you. Can you, can you autograph Aww. my picture? And I said, sure, but wasn't expecting that, you know? So Sweet. when you open Pandora's box... Well, you're a celebrity in, in many I of our eyes. I wouldn't go that far, yeah, no, but they were, uh, they were really entertained. And another little tidbit, there's a guy, where is he from, Kentucky? And his face looks somewhat familiar. For the last three years, he brings his class up. They're junior high school mm -hmm. students. He brings them up, and one of the highlights is to come find me, hunt me down where I'm copying, and introduce his class to me. So and this nice. is a third year, and I didn't really? realize it until he was here. He said, I've seen you before. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Different kids, though. Yeah. But no, I didn't associate From Kentucky. From, I'm almost sure he was from Kentucky, so meeting wow. people from all over the world and especially from coast to coast and Hawaii and Alaska and parts That's wonderful. north and south, south. So really, that ambassador, I don't know if I'm worthy, but I, I feel like I'm kind of uh, 
not involved with the National Gallery as a staff member, but being having that opportunity. We are very to do much this. a part of our community. I mean, all the copyists are. I mean, we we feel so lucky to have so many wonderful people talking to the public. I mean, it's yeah. just it's uh, it's a highlight for me to go walk through the galleries to see you all at work too. And um, and Sarah's right. I've absolutely admired your work for a very long time. So it was so. I wouldn't have known. I know. I'm just one of the creepers watching you. You know. <laughs> um, is there anything um, on the horizon right now? Once the von Alst is done, if that you've got your eye on. Um, a couple. I'm thinking. I think I'm done with still lives for a minute. Yeah. You've, you've done. You've um, done the fluffy. You've done the <laughs> feathers. But I'm still kind of looking at maybe a pastoral or something. Okay. Exterior. Okay. Portrait, maybe it's time for another portrait. I'm not really sure. It'll be availability and then kind of... Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then with those three or four, go to the registrar's office and see what's available. Okay. But I'm, I'm sure, so maybe by beginning of spring or Easter, okay. I'll be ready to hunt down my next victim. Okay. All right. Well, you know, if you want to do another Dutch or Flemish thing, you just let me know. Northern Baroque. I got, I got yes. ideas. Um... <laughs> If anyone out there wants to see you on more than just Fridays, where can they find you? Are you showing anywhere right now? Um, I am in a very local show in, in Laurel, Maryland. It's at the Montpelier Mansion. And so it's a competition. So I was uh, selected for that. And that's a month-long show. Um, I teach a couple of places. So Stone Branch School of Art. And that's in Rockville. And so I do a, a painting class there. Painting like the... The Hudson River School. Okay. And I see uh, at least one of my students out in the audience. Okay. Um, so that's a wonderful venue. And the school is wonderful because it, it really is a preparatory for arts. So many of the public school systems have eliminated fine arts from their curriculums. And so this school actually from, I think, as young as five years old, yeah. from five to 85, if you're willing to learn some type of art, which includes... Um, printmaking and seamstry and uh, fashion and sculpture and you name it. So I've kind of honed in on the drawing with paint mm -hmm. uh, and landscapes. I also run an open studio. In fact, uh, Joel King's former studio, Atelier Royal, mm -hmm. in, um, in Riverdale, Maryland. And that's an open studio. And it's open and open to the public. And I run the uh, figure. It's a figure drawing, live model on a weekly basis. Um, I've become a member of the Arts Club of Washington, so... Oh, congratulations. The, thank you. So it was a... Uh, it's very competitive. You don't yeah. have to be a member, but I'm, uh, I'm going to be exhibiting in the uh, March of 2020. Okay. So preparing that, okay. preparing for that, and a couple of commissions, so... All right. And my website You're and busy. others. I try to, I try to. Well, thank you so much again, and we invite you to come up and see some of Bruce's work. Thank you for coming. This has been a National Gallery of Art podcast.